Our next tale comes from Lolafi and Thunnershell. Though I better tell it in this way first before I tell you the full story. You'll see why in a moment. Now, the others of the group were gathered in the upper reception room of the Kyrian nobles' abandoned palace in the lost city of Israel. They were waiting for Lalafi and Seneschal to return from their reconnaissance when they heard Seneschal's call from the doorway below. Hello! The group looked among themselves with quizzical expressions when they heard Seneschal's cry. He's back, I guess. Just had to tell us, I'm supposing. Uh, the next time, his call was much weaker. Help! And that got everyone moving. Seneschal? You alright? What is it, lad? Slalafi, she's hurt. Quickly! They found Seneschal at the bottom of the steps, bent and exhausted, and fully carrying the bloodied and limp form of the elf maid Lolafi. Devergira the dwarf bounded down the stairs and took Lolafi from him. Let me have her. Is she bleeding? Were you attacked? How was she hurt? What happened? Tell us. Bloodied. No bleeding anymore. Nothing broken. Scale came to Seneschal's side and helped support him before he too collapsed. Arista gathered up the fallen equipment and weapons and checked to make sure no enemy was following, then closed and barred the outer door. They all went up the steps to the reception room and the two wounded comrades were made as comfortable as they could be done. Found a tunnel to the second city ring. We met two dark creatures. Fee's banishing light had no effect on them. <clears throat> Seneschal, keep awake. Here, drink this. You were telling us how she got hurt. There was a tunnel. With two dark creatures. Uh, she destroyed one with her sword. The other attacked her. Pinned her to the ground. My weapons were youth. youth. Hey, 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 stay with us. Concentrate on telling us what happened. Finally d destroyed it with her sword. Who did? You did? I did. She was out, not moving, unresponsive. I carried her back. Oh, he's out again. That is not good. Not for long. Hey, dummy, keep awake. Seneschal's chin dropped to his chest, and his breathing grew heavier and more regular. Skyo was giving a more thorough inspection of Lalafi, which revealed her right shoulder had been savaged by teeth, and her veins all along her arm, down her back and her chest were black and thin. This was much like the injuries that Skyo and Varista suffered after they had been attacked by the flying wraiths in the dark theater. Lalafi at that time had described it as the death magic spreading through the body, devouring the life spark and she had healed it in both Skyo and Varista at no small peril to herself. Only now, it was Lalafi, their healer, that was afflicted, and no one to counter the malady devouring her life spark. Build up the fire. I'll need the big food pot and fill it with water. Somebody give me my bag. It's got herbs. Seneschal, can you hear me? Now, that's the story that can be told with certainty. What actually happened requires a bit of conjecture and some guesswork. And I will give you as faithful a retelling as I can, given that there are conflicting versions as to events prior, and some may be more reputable than others. 
Lalafi and Seneschal were paired off to search throughout the western district of the third city ring in the lost city of Israel. They were searching for the Temple of Balfour, the object of their journey. Each group had been selected with someone who could provide light, and Lalafi's necklace made her the light bearer, and then Seneschal was to go with her. Or, as Seneschal had grumbled, Lalafi was effectively his protection, which made him pretty much dead weight, according to him. The group was getting used to his recent odd penchant for grousing and muttering. The two of them had explored many different buildings and structures, but they specifically were looking for something large and below street level, in accordance to what the Guardian of the Pool had described for the location of the temple. They came upon a flat plaza, and at its center was a stairway at street level, which led underground. The direction of the stairway pointed toward the wall separating the third city ring with the second ring of the city. Lalafi looked at it dubiously. We haven't explored inside the second ring of the city yet. Well, this will let us know if we have a way into the second ring without having to go over the wall on Varasta's rope, or stumble over the rubble surrounding the main gate. It's not exactly our mission. Then it's an unexpected bonus. Besides, what we find at the end of the stairway might be the temple we're looking for. Accessible from stairs on either side of the wall. This last suggestion from Seneschal was finally the pebble that tipped the scales, and so she started down the stairs. Lalafi willed the gem on her necklace to glow with light just as the stairs grew totally dark. The gem's glow revealed more stairs going down, but they could just make out a landing below. Upon reaching the landing, they looked round, and there was a square tunnel of stone which led north in the direction of the wall above. It might just be an access tunnel to the other city ring, but there may also be more. <sighs> well, let's go. Lalafi was still reluctant to do this further exploring, though she couldn't exactly put into words why she thought so. As a result, she kept quiet and continued on down the tunnel. Maybe they have some failsafe to collapse the tunnel, in case the third ring falls to the enemy. We should be careful, even though the construction seems solid. Uh, Tvergura would talk our ears off if she were here, describing in minute detail the nature of the stone and how it would be used for underground support. Dwarf things. Fenichel stopped in mid-roll as light, which threw out to approximately ten horse lengths, revealed two shadows ahead of them. It was strange in that the shadows were human-like forms, but one was fixed to the ceiling and the other against the right wall, in the same way spiders might be seen. It appeared that the light had made both of the figures pause, but after a moment they resumed crawling along the ceiling and wall. Crawling quickly and... They're crawling toward us! Lalafi bowed her head and spread her hands out toward her sides, palms out and fingers spread. Her chin rested upon her chest and she took an intake of breath. Seneschal, meanwhile, drew both his sword and dagger, and both weapons emitted a soft orange glow along the scrollwork on the blades. The shadowy forms continued to crawl in their direction. Back you, or face certain destruction! The emaciated bodies kept crawling, and now could be heard soft, slavering sounds and gnashing teeth. They had covered half the distance of the lights cast when Lalafi raised her hands, now glowing with green light, 
clasped them together in full front of her. Carcotta! The legs jumped off her hands and filled the tunnel from floor to top, side to side, and rippled down its expanse. Seneschal fully expected both dark figures to drop from the wall and ceiling like dead bugs, or to be entirely wiped away like the ghouls had been. Instead, they hunkered down as if an ocean wave had swept over them and rocked them with its force, and then having weathered that, continued forward again with their crawl. Lalafi dropped her hands and stared for only a moment before drawing out her own sword, bent-bladed Dark Bane. Felbings, hear me. This sword was made by the master Asan Sane and consecrated by Rozoa'in the Wise. It shall be your destruction. And I'll cut you quick too. Be certain of that. The creatures having now almost approached let out a screech from their mouths which, while opened, revealed extremely long and sharp teeth. All semblance to human kin disappeared at the sound of their wailing. The two launched from their respective crouches, and the one from the ceiling landed before Lolafi, and the other from the wall stood across from Seneschal. Lolafi's green fire ran down the length of her blade, and she swung her sword more like a sling throwing a stone, whirling the blade over her head and then the fire leapt from her sword to envelop the fell creature. It covered its face from the fire, but when it passed, it made a leap after her, slashing its prodigious claws. The creature that landed before Seneschal stopped in front of his crossed blade guard, looking past the weapons and stared into Seneschal's eyes. Its wild eyes reflected the orange glow of Seneschal's weapons, and its eyes grew wider with excitement. Seneschal returned a stare and found his awareness falling into the creature's eyes, falling and falling and falling. At once, two things happened. The glowing scrollwork on Seneschal's weapons suddenly flared into bright red, and the dark creature flashed its teeth in a gaping, open smile. It turned its back on Seneschal and fixed its attention upon Lolafi. Lolafi had parried the slashings of the first creature's claws, and with a backstroke, the blade of Dark Bane cut across the creature's chest. It screamed in agony, which echoed down the tunnel. It twisted to turn and retreat, but Lolafi's return stroke slashed straight across its neck and severed the head from its emaciated body. Black Ikor quickly billowed from the body out across the dry stone and stained it dark. Before Lalafi could turn back toward Seneschal, however, the second creature caught her from behind and slammed into her, knocking her off her feet. The creature grabbed onto her and rode her down to the ground, and the two hit the floor with a crunching thud. Lalafi's sword clanked away from her hand, and quickly the creature pinned her to the ground. Lalafi's face was pressed against the stone, and the creature lay atop her and gripped both her wrists and kept them splayed out wide. Then the creature opened its needle-sharp teeth and buried them into her shoulder. Lalafi let out a shriek of pain, and the creature ravaged her shoulder and neck. Seneschal, as if he were in a dream, uncrossed his blades and walked 
slowly up to Lalafi and the dark figure pinning her to the ground. Lalafi, you have unmatched sword skills, to be sure. I don't think any human could be your match. But at the end of the day, if it comes down to matching strength against strength, scrapping on the ground, you're no more special than a common serving wench, aren't you? He stretched his long blade out toward the creature, the weapon still glowing fiery red. He tapped it upon the creature's shoulder with the tip of the blade, and the creature stopped savaging Lalafi for a moment and twisted back to look at Selashal. And we've never seen the likes of you before. You're no ghoul. Are you a thousand years old? Just waiting for us? Or someone, anyone, to come here to this lost and forgotten city? What madness that must drive you into. I'll bet she's got a lot of life spark in her, if that's what you feed on. She's 300, 400 years, plus the odd life spark she expends on us when she heals our afflictions. So why shouldn't I share her with you? Lalafi's sobs had now faded, and her body from fingers to toes made no movement. Seneschal looked at his weapons, scroll work glowing bright red. Hmm, never seen that before. Might have Skeo take a look at these weapons again and see if they have any more secrets to be discovered. What? Had your fill? Time to be on your way? Now, now, I don't have any quarrel with you. You don't want to wind up like your cousin there, do you? The creature leapt out at Seneschal, who crossed his blades again to block the thing attack. It leaned into his weapons, and Seneschal pulled both of them down and expected to see the chest of the beast crisscrossed with slash marks. But instead, there was nothing. The bright red lighting of the scrollwork on his blades turned to black. The tunnel was now lit only by Lalafi's gem, which her inert body was lying upon, though some light escaped out beneath her. The dark figure moving closer to Seneschal was only a silhouette now. Be gone, foul beast. Ha! He beat down upon the thing with an overhead swing of his longer blade, but it only bounced off the creature without harm. He circled round defensively from the snarling creature, moving closer to the light beneath the fallen Lalafi. The beast sprang out at him, claws slashing and teeth gnashing. Seneschal held his weapons up in front of him to try to block, but his attacker grasped him by one arm and by the other shoulder and bore him down to the ground. Its teeth flashed inches away from his face, and he could smell Lalafi's blood, which stained its teeth and its peeled back lips. Seneschal thrashed about, abandoning his weapons, and at the last minute turned his head as the creature sunk its fanged teeth into his shoulder and bit in deep. Rather than tearing away chunks of flesh, like he imagined, the creature sucked up upon the blood flowing out of his wounds and lapped up any that spilled out upon him. Panic overwhelmed Seneschal, and his arms frantically sought for purchase upon anything. His left arm was still fighting to get loosed from the beast's grip, and his right arm was frantically flailing around, alternatively hitting the beast and feeling around on the ground. The pain was growing greater from the wound, and his shoulder and the creature's teeth digging into his arm. 
He bucked his back up, trying to throw off his attacker. And at the same time, his right hand hit upon something metal, and he heard a clattering sound. Seneschal frantically searched around his hand and found wrapped around the handle of Lalafi's sword. Had it been a scimitar, the sharpened edge which would have run along the outer edge would have been useless to him. But this sword was bent inwards, and the edge ran along the inside of the blade. He curled his arm in toward himself and landed the sword along the back of the creature. It let out a pained shriek, lifted its head, and twisted about to meet a new attacker from behind. Seneschal adjusted his backswing and brought it to bear right upon the chest of the creature. The purple runes along the sides of Dark Bane lit up as it struck the creature, leaving a gaping slash across its chest. The creature flailed backwards and dropped to the ground. Seneschal got up upon his knees, facing the dark creature, and raised the sword above his head and brought it down upon the thing. He expected some scream or yelp or something, but there was only a dry thud and then silence. Seneschal shot in the tunnel, panting breaths, his mind reeling. He dragged himself over to Lalafi and felt for a heartbeat. Couldn't tell if he felt hers or his own pounding through his hands and fingers. At last, he figured either way he needed to carry her back at once. And so he gathered the weapons up and stood over Lalafi's unmoving body. Catching his breath, he looked at the emaciated dark bodies on the stone floor, recalling how they crawled in near silence along the ceiling and walls. It suddenly occurred to him that there might be more than these two creatures in the tunnel, and there was certainly much yelling and shrieking that could be heard throughout the tunnel beyond to attract them to the hunt. So he scooped up Lolafi and staggered his way back to the palace and the others. Hello? Help! Seneschal? You alright? What is it, lad? Lolafi. She's hurt. Quickly! Let me have her. Is she bleeding? Were you attacked? How was she hurt? What happened? Tell us. Ah, yes. The important story here is not what Seneschal told them of events, but what he left out of his narrative. When Lalafi revived, she did not recall much of the encounter, and certainly not Seneschal's musings while she was being savaged by the creature, and the glowing red scrollwork on Seneschal's weapons that turned black when it touched the creature. Afterwards, though, Lalafi didn't know why, it was just a hazy anxiety she had. But Lalafi no longer allowed herself to be alone with Seneschal ever after that. You've been listening to Tunnel of Terror, a side quest short story of the Dungeons and Damsel series by Unchained Productions, written and directed by David Ian. Voice talent by Danny Baldwin, John Campbell, Jack Harvison, David Ian, Laura Myers, Daniel Rovan, and Aaron Summonsby. Sound engineering by Dino Dielfwell. Sound design by David Ian. Theme by Ron Perovich. Music by Mark Rose. Medieval music by Johnny Easton. 
Tunnel of Terror is a side quest short story of the Dungeons & Damsel series by Unchained Productions. <laughs>